Hey everyone, how's it going? My name is Blackamora and you are watching or listening to the Streamcast. I'm so excited to start speaking to the guest of this episode, Mark Backler, the founder of Sketchbook Games and the director of Lost Words, the acclaimed indie title. I want you, if you are watching this on YouTube, to get in the comments and let me know what your favorite book is. And if you can't choose one, let me know your top three, top five, or top 10 books, whether it's comics, manga, or traditional hardback slash paperback. We'll include those eBooks as well. What have been your favorite reading material? Because this game is really fun. It's a nice, non-violent, wholesome game. And we're gonna get into Mark's past as a gamer and how he transitioned into making games. Stay tuned for the interview. Hey yo, welcome to another edition of the Streamcast. I am your host, Blackamora, and today I'm so happy because we have yet another person involved in the games industry to talk to you a little bit about their lives and what they're going through, what it takes to make a game. I'm very pleased to present to you my guest, the talented, amazing Mark Backler. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Of course. It was Mark from Sketchbook Games. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you for asking. I'm good. I'm good. So I want to get straight into things with yourself. As you know, Streamcast is a gaming platform by Gamers for Gamers, and you look like a gamer to me. Do you remember your first ever game and your first ever games console? Uh, so I think the first um, well, first computer we had was a Commodore 64 and the first actual games console was a Mega Drive. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't really remember the first game on the Commodore, but I know um, uh, I liked playing a Donald the Duck game. I remember that quite fondly when you had to like build a playground with uh, Donald for his nephews and then you could switch over and play as the nephews and get to play on it and I remember playing that with my dad and brother and like fond uh, fond memories of that. Oh awesome I've always wanted to play a Commodore 64 <laughs> they just look I don't know why they just have a really nice look to them. Yeah um... yeah chunky <laughs> it's like yeah it was a cool machine we we sold ours and I always kind of regretted it I went back and spoke to the people that we sold it to years later because they just lived across the, the, the road and um uh but they'd sold it on to someone else so yeah at some point maybe i'll try and pick up one and um and try and find some of the games although half of them might you know i probably remember them if i saw them but i can't remember the names and a mega drive as well i sold my mega drive to buy an n64 and um, it was good to get the Fair n64 enough. and it had lots of great uh times on on that but i do miss the the mega drive and so yeah again i think i have to sort of try and do some research and figure out all the games I had and uh, and, and and buy them back. I've got a snares that um, I never had that at the time, but I always played it a lot around um, my next door neighbor's house and around my friend Sean's house. And so, yeah, got some some happy memories of like playing Mario Kart and Mario Metroid, that sort of thing. So yeah, nice to have the uh, the, the snares now. Nice. Those are a lot of great consoles. Um, have you had the chance to pick up a Mega Drive Mini? I haven't no i've been tempted i always wonder it's like do i do i just buy the 
the full thing and get yeah. the, the games that I wanted or is the mini easier because it works better on newer TVs and stuff. And um, so, yeah, haven't quite uh, figured that out yet. But yeah, been tempted by the SNES mini as well. That looks uh, cool because you've got all the games on. I've got a few games for the SNES, but I guess the, the appeal with those things is that, yeah, you get a whole selection of games and it's nice and easy and convenient and looks good on modern TVs. Absolutely. Have you got those? No. no, I really want a SNES Mini. So what I did was, I was when I first saw the SNES Mini, I thought that looks cool, but I don't want it. I don't want it. And then, I think a year later, I was like, I really want one, and they're out of stock everywhere. Right. So right. I have to pay a massive premium to get one now, and I don't really want to do that. So I'm I'm still on the lookout for a SNES Mini. I've been able to play. Um, I've been able to play on it. A few places at functions, um, so places like Four Quarters, which is a gaming bar, and Platform, which is another gaming bar in London. Um, yeah. They've been really fun every time I played. So I really want to get one personally. Mm -hmm. I'm holding out for that Dreamcast Mini. Nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you shouted out a lot of good games there. Of course, Mario Kart. Do you have like a top three or a top five games that you've played? Um, yes, I guess probably my favorite game is Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, I guess also like partly because of the, the time I played it in my life. And so it makes it quite hard to be, I mean, Breath of the Wild is amazing as well. Um, but yeah, for me, I guess because I played Ocarina of Time round when I was like 14, 15, it's kind of got special memories yeah. that would be hard to, hard to beat. Um, but yeah, um, Breath of the Wild is definitely up there as well i guess yeah a lot of my favorite games are the the n64 ones that i played around that that age so um golden eye mario 64 um banjo kazooie um probably the the like um top ones but then yeah so many awesome modern games as well like uh, life is strange is quite a, a favorite of mine that's pretty awesome I, although there's been so many different versions now I, I started playing before the storm and i haven't finished it and now there's like um uh true colors life is strange too and yeah life is strange true colors so i own them but i haven't uh i haven't got around to playing them yet so <laughs> need, to, need to make some time how about you what are your top five games oh that's a good question um oof, okay off the top of my head god of war is my favorite game i've played nice. the recent one mm -hmm. um just because i feel it's the game that has best blended storytelling and gameplay cool so I'll, I'll try not to make this a whole hour because i could talk about god of war for days literally i played, and I have... <laughs> I played one and two i think i need uh, yeah, a bit of catching up there and I, I think i have the new one on um the playstation subscription stuff so uh, yeah nice. i need to need to check that out i think yeah definitely Got your definitely. seal of approval <laughs> of course and i tend to be quite conservative when i talk about game stuff with people because i know not everyone's gonna like the same stuff that i do but I will back God of War. I will fight for that game. Nice. It's great. I would probably put Sekiro as the second best game I've ever played. Right. I really enjoyed that game. And I didn't think I was going to. So during lockdown, my friend Sean got me all of the Dark Souls games. And I hated playing them for the longest time. And then uh, after Dark Souls 3, I accepted that these are good games. I just... They're not for me. Uh, uh, I moved on to Bloodborne, which I really loved. That 
I don't know why that game just clicked for me. I don't know if it was the, the gothic look or the um the fact that you couldn't block in the game. Bloodborne was just perfect for me. And then I moved on to Sekiro after, which was even better because of the fast-paced combat. And that just feels how one of those Souls games should play, like quick and everyone just mm-hmm. getting their moves in. So Sekiro is up there. Oh man, this is tough. Um, I'm going to say Sonic Mania because I think that's the best Sonic game I've played. Right, yeah. wow. Nice. Do you, do you uh, have a uh, favourite Sonic game? Um, so maybe Sonic and Knuckles, but yeah, I had Sonic 2, Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles and thought they were all good. And I, play, I, I, bought, a, I bought Mania um, because I thought my niece and nephew might like to play it, but it's one of those things where like, they played it for two minutes and then bounced and then i haven't got around to it but yeah it did it does look like a cool um uh like yeah update of uh of sonic and there's been a few versions hasn't there but that that one yeah. definitely seemed to have a good reputation for like doing a brilliant job so um yeah after um put some more time there's a theme here of all these cool games that <laughs> I, uh, i'm not getting time to, to play i mean i think that's a common thing with all gamers the dreaded backlog it's yeah. all about how long it is <laughs> um i just bought sonic origins the other day so i am very much looking forward to actually playing sonic 1 2 3 and cd because i didn't get the chance to play them originally when they came out so um i kind of feel like i missed out but i kind of feel like this is the best opportunity i am going to get now to play those games and enjoy them cool so looking forward to that top five games have i ever played five games um, it's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> a hard tough. question. To, yeah. Uh, to rank. Often people just say your your one favorite game, but then that that's that's even tougher, I guess, to have to just be like. It depends. Oh, yeah. It's nice to get to <laughs> get to give a range. Exactly. I mean, I would give a big shout out to Marvel Spider Man definitely because I. Feel, oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That I haven't is... played Miles Morales yet because I, I was waiting till I got it on PS Five, but um, yeah. I haven't managed to get my hands on a PS Five so far. So. Um, uh yeah but i think uh, i'll either just play it on playstation plus on the on the ps4 or um uh yeah maybe when i maybe i will get around to getting finding somewhere that's got the ps5 in stock and um and picking it up and then uh checking that out because yeah that that looks like really cool too yeah i mean i've played miles morales on the ps5 as and i can say it's worth it it's it's a short game it, it's more like a 1.5 game but it's worth it because of the inclusion the amount of effort that they went into so um there is someone who's deaf in the game and there's like american sign language going on to communicate with that person specifically so i think the representation is great it's so good i think you're gonna make me play it again <laughs> i'm gonna play it after this um but yeah Mar- marvel spider-man is such a complete experience it's so fun and i think that's what i love most about it it's not it's not meant to be this you know overwhelming challenging game where you're meant to think three steps ahead you're just meant to have fun with it you are spider-man you are one of the strongest people in the city so that it should be replicated in the ease of the gameplay the bosses just from take me back to the amazing spider-man you know kingpin you got scorpion it's it's like a nostalgia trip but actually good <laughs> so um everything about everything about the story the gameplay even the graphics the visuals they've just been amazing i haven't touched it since they did the whole 
uh, I think they did the face update to make the uh, to make Peter Parker's face look more like Yuri Lowenthal. I don't know what was going on, going on there. Maybe Yuri, maybe um, Tom Holland, but um, I haven't played it since then, so I don't know if that would change my opinion of it. I don't see yeah. why it would, but I thoroughly enjoyed my time playing Marvel Spider Man, and I'd probably put Ghost of Tsushima up there as well because one of the prettiest games I've ever played. I actually felt like a samurai playing that, and the combat there was challenging enough. It was the right amount of challenges where I wanted to keep going and push on, but also fun and engaging as well. Cool. Yeah, they did a, a brilliant um, job with Spider-Man, like getting all the different costumes in. So you get some of the like background lore and you can also yeah. change between them and, and the, um, uh, the backpacks to collect that kind of have little tidbits is, is really awesome. And then just the, like swinging around the city as well they managed to make just getting around fun so that you know i don't know about you but i only fast traveled like once or twice because it was just so so much fun <laughs> to like swing around the city and so you know that's one of the best bits of the game they, yeah they did a brilliant job with that i also played the um 2d spider-man on the mega drive that was a classic oh, one i nice. i had really good fun with uh with that one i think you've got like 12 hours to complete the game because there's this bomb that you have to defuse so it was quite Oh, nice. I'm not sure you could save either, so I think you had to do it all in one <laughs> sitting, and was quite hard. But in that game as well, they, you know, the swinging had a really nice feel to it, even though it was 2D. But um, yeah, I feel like um, Marvel Spider-Man was the kind of first one that I don't know, yeah, really captured that so well in 3D. And then with all the, yeah, the beautiful like visual fidelity and everything, it looks really awesome, doesn't it? When you like climb a skyscraper and just chill there and enjoy the view and <laughs> oh, for real yeah it's such a beautiful game and after I completed the first mission I just swung for about an hour and didn't care about any of the missions any of the side stuff I just wanted to swing and do all the tricks and yeah I was just amazed it I felt like an eight-year-old again <laughs> and there's just little things that they've put into the game like the change of music when you're swinging versus when you're walking or when you're just stationary. And um, there was one point where I jumped off a really high building and I, I tried to swing and I wasn't, it, it wasn't computing why I couldn't, you know, latch onto anything. And then I realized it's because they've actually got the uh, buildings. You have to have, you have to be low enough to be swinging off a building to actually swing, which obviously makes sense. But in the game, you're like, can I can I cheat this? Can, you know, can I get around this? So the fact that they thought about that and put things in place to make sure that things are as correct as possible just Definitely. really takes it up for me. Yeah, yeah. Because on some of the other Spider-Man games, yeah, you could just like web sling into the sky, and and then yeah. I guess while while it feels good to not have to worry about being near buildings, there like you do straight away just think, hang on a minute, this is weird. What am I actually <laughs> webbing onto? And, uh, exactly yeah it's something i wouldn't have noticed if they didn't do that but i definitely appreciate the fact that they've done that mm. yeah i mean you've got to think about where you're traveling and your route and stuff isn't it you've got to actually plan not just kind of make a beeline for something it's like exactly. you've got to go around yeah yeah yeah. Awesome. yeah excellent game i want to talk to you specifically though mark about the transition from playing games and enjoying them that way to making games and i want to start off with what inspired you to start making games so i guess um 
lots of the games that I played as a, a kid and um, yes, yeah, sort of as I grew up enjoying lots of different games and I always felt like I would really love to make them, but it took quite a while to kind of find out what area I could and um, would want to, to go into because to begin with, I didn't really know loads about making games, but I did kind of want to try programming games even when I was at primary school and with the Commodore 64, but I never really got that far with that. That was a bit hardcore for me. Um, so then, yeah, I guess all through um, my education, I kind of knew I wanted to get into games. So I was quite lucky to to know what I wanted to, to do. And then I studied a games course at Lincoln University. And um, then, yeah, a friend of mine had got a job when we graduated uh, working at EA on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Mm. And um, nice. uh, and he told me later on that they were hiring again. So I applied there and uh, I thought the interview went terribly, but it turned out I got the, the job. So, uh, yeah, that was a cool um, like break into the uh, into the industry. But, yeah, when I when I went to university, I thought I wanted to program games because that was the only area I really kind of knew about or that people seemed to talk about when they were talking about making games. And so it was only when I sort of learned a bit more and that role was as a level integrator. So basically a, a scripter of like um, using a scripting language that the programmers had written to kind of set up all the, the missions um, in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And um, and then from there, I kind of, when I, when I had my foot in the door, you get to learn about the different roles and, um, and yeah, I felt like design was a really good area and that I wanted to kind of aim to, to go, go that way. So that was kind of the, yeah, beginning of my journey. Oh, awesome. I will say, first of all, it's always better for you to think that the interview went terribly and for you to get the job than the other way around. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so, Same uh, thing with exams as well. <laughs> yes, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's really great that you got your break in EA, one of the biggest companies to work for when it comes to gaming. So I want to talk a little bit about your course. You mentioned some programming languages. Mm -hmm. What type of languages did you have to learn? What were the easiest ones to learn and which ones were a bit more difficult and why? Right, sure. So um, I guess before university, I was looking into C++ and um, uh, yeah, I always found that kind of quite tricky. Um, then when I started making my own games um, in Unity, there was c sharp and javascript so i was sort of experimenting with with those and at ea the pro the um scripting language was written by the programmers in c but you know we didn't have to worry about all the c memory management and everything because it was this kind of simplified scripting language so it was a bunch of commands of like you know this character go to this point and then you pass in the name of the character and the name of the marker and so you had all these different commands like that so I liked that it was sort of quite straightforward and but it it helped teach you the like logic because you were using loops and things and then um after EA I went to Lionhead and there we were using Lua so like a full scripting language um and yeah for um 
for my game Lost Words, we used C Sharp for that. And now for our new game, we're using C++. So it's been kind of a, a mix of those. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for me, I've always kind of struggled with them. Although I think I do still like, I'd like to play around with them some more. Also visual scripting is something I get on quite well with. So I've used a few visual scripting tools over the years, um, uh, like Playmaker with Unity and now um we've switched engines from unity to unreal and so i need to do some tutorials for like picking up blueprint because that seems like a really cool sort of powerful scripting language and, and way to get stuff set up with your your games mm, nice a lot of knowledge dropped there <laughs> you just said that you switched from unity to unreal mm -hmm. so um is there a way you can explain for someone who isn't so much into the developing side of games how different it is being on Unreal versus Unity? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of similarities between both game engines, um, but uh, they they kind of operate in slightly different ways when it um, comes to certain elements and the prefabs and stuff. Also the pro programming language, I guess, is a huge part of it of that Unreal uses C++, but Unity uses C sharp. So sort of which of those you know or prefer might impact that. And um, I always feel like um, Unreal does a really good job with its like built in shaders and everything. So you can get things looking really nice out of the box. Whereas with Unity, it always feels like it's a bit more work to to get things to the same level um but yeah i mean in general it's kind of just which environment you prefer and what you get on best with so it's good to sort of try try both out and see what you what you like unity can be really good for mobile stuff because i guess it can do like you know things quite lightweight and has always seemed quite geared towards indie games but um unreal in the last few years seems to have done a good job at sort of updating things and um like focusing on the indie end of the market as well as still you know having a strong yeah. game in terms of the triple a because yeah unreal does still get used for loads of really huge triple a blockbuster titles yeah that's definitely one of the more notable ones i think they're both quite notable to be honest i think uh, like your average gamer would recognize both unity and an unreal Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's a, a really high volume of games made using Unity. And uh, I think it's quite, quite good for, um, uh, I guess, yeah, always seemed good for beginners and always had quite a strong community and lots of tutorials and content and stuff. But I guess I feel that's another thing that Unreal started doing much better than, than they were in the last few years. And yeah, they've got really good onboarding now. And they're sort of they've overhauled their forums and, um, and now with um, Unreal Engine 5, there's, yeah, it's like a fresh start for all of that stuff, but they're putting a lot of effort into, um, yeah, all the tutorials and everything. So there's a lot of good content out there. Yeah. So you briefly mentioned it earlier, your game, Lost Words, Beyond the Page. Mm -hmm. What went into that game? Talk to me about the inspiration behind the game. It's a lovely, non-violent, combative game, <laughs> which is a complete antithesis to um, all the games that I mentioned earlier. But there is so much great content to be made when it comes to peaceful indie games. 
what went into Lost Words. Tell me about any obstacles that you came across and overcame while making that game. And uh, yeah, just, yeah, talk to us about the, the game making process. Sure, yeah. So um, it started off in the Ludum Dare game jam. So you had like a couple of days to make a game and the theme was minimalism. And so I kind of wanted to make a game a bit like Tetris, but with dropping words instead of dropping blocks. Okay. And you'd have to drop them um, kind of going up, um, like vertically up your screen in ascending length order so that you could jump up them with your character and reach a goal in the top right corner of the screen. But then, so I was making it in the game maker engine. So that's even sort of quicker and easier to get stuff together than, than Unity or Unreal. And um, uh, then I, I had physics on the character, but not on the uh, words themselves. So when I ran the game to test it, the character dropped down and landed on the sentence that sort of hung there in the middle of the screen. And I thought, hey, that's really cool. I've not seen that in a game before. So I decided to kind of pivot and do that instead. And then it kind of grew from there. So at the end of the game jam, I had a bunch of interesting mechanics that I was quite happy with. Um, sort of most if not all of which ended up in the final game like many years later and um then yeah because it was words it seemed you know I, I, i'm a big fan of narrative games and so it seemed to make sense for it to kind of be in the pages of a, a journal and um and then the character sort of grew grew from there and um then yeah i was talking with a uh publisher and they suggested finding a, a writer and um, uh, mentioned a few names and we, we got in touch with Rihanna Pratchett who um, was interested to work with us and she'd written like the last couple of Tomb Raider reboot games and also worked on Mirror's Edge and Heavenly Sword and um, yeah she was interested to, to work on the, the project with us which was really awesome and so yeah when she came on board um, yeah, kind of went from there, really. She felt like loss was a really powerful and universal topic. And um, so, yeah, because I, I knew I wanted it to be about something that could sort of make a positive difference on people's lives. And, um, yeah, that seemed like a really good way to, to go. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of uh, grew from there. And we added, like, the fantasy world section. So games kind of split into stages like loosely modeled on the stages of grief and then each chapter starts in the pages of the diary and then you transition into this fantasy world called Astoria and so that's like the structure of the game of you you hear the real world stuff going on and then you go into the fantasy world and the the premise of the game is it's about this young girl called Izzy who's aspiring to be a writer and her gran is helping to mentor her but then when her gran gets ill Izzy uses the fantasy world that she's writing about as a means of coping with what she's going through in the real world. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks very much. And yeah, I guess we took inspiration from all kinds of different games, like Ori and the Blind Forest was a good one in terms of visuals and it had, you know, really beautiful cutscenes and narrative elements. And um, uh, then, yeah, kind of lots of other 2D games, but also, um, yeah, I mean, like Life is Strange came out partway through development and, and had the really nice aesthetic of the journal stuff and the doodles, but we already had like the watercolor stuff for that. But then it was, yeah, nice to see a game 
doing that really well too. And Child of Light was another one that came out sort of while we were developing it and did a bunch of things that um, we were trying to do of like female protagonist in this fantasy world and um, using words in an interesting way. So um, uh, yeah, so it's tried to look at like a, a broad range of titles really, as well as non-games and films and stuff, things like um, uh, a monster calls was really good because that's like a yeah very emotional film sort of similar subject matter so i i definitely feel the narrative um the narrative leaning side of you through the game you know even the trailer it's a very important part of the game and i feel that is something that video games have taken to very well in general the industry you can have these really great stories told but almost not not trick but almost spoon feed it to the gamer in the kind of way that they don't realize that the story is being told to them until they get to the end and they look back and the entire journey has been oh wow started from here got to here and i think it is a really great initiative that you've done here you know being able to take something that is traditionally quite a negative thing and taboo and people don't like to talk about it and there are ways to deal with it. There are people out there who care. There are people. There are ways. There are healthy ways to deal with what you're going through. I think, yeah, just Definitely. an amazing job. I wanted to just give you your kudos for that. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, uh, sketchbook games. How did you get involved with that company? How is sketchbook games different to you know a Lionhead or an EA? And what are the pros and cons for working for a larger studio versus working for a smaller one? Sure. Yeah. So um, when I was working at Marmalade Game Studios in London, I was a lead designer there. And that was when I did the Game Jam uh, when Lost Words originated. And then I liked the concept, so I kept on working on it in my spare time. Then I um, sort of uh, took part in this course called the Games Quarter. And you could like do a practice pitch for your game that you were working on, um, which I did. And then one of the other people there was working for a um, like games publisher and they um, were interested to offer some funding. So I ended up quitting my job to, to take that. Nice. Um, ended up not taking that funding, but applying for some other funding through the Wellcome Trust and um, Creative England. And so those were the funds that sort of um, helped, helped me get the game off the ground and hire other people to, to help out with it. And so yeah, the company is small. There's just, well, there was 12 of us at the peak of Lost Words development. And then everyone sort of had other projects to, to move on to as we did the porting for the other um, platforms for it. And then, um, yeah, so now there's just a couple of us uh, working on the new project, but then we'll scale up again um, sort of as we develop things with that. And um, uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, running your own small studio is quite different to EA and noticeable differences of like no IT department or uh, HR department <laughs> to help with hiring people. And yeah, and so and like when your computer breaks down, you know, you've got to yeah. sort it yourself. And um, you. yeah, uh, so I guess I've got a lot better at that sort of uh, thing um, since being independent and um yeah, but you do miss the like working with a big team of people, and um, yeah, I you know I did really enjoy my time at those uh, 
those studios. We had a Lionhead reunion recently, actually. That was really nice. nice. Uh, it was like a Lionhead Bullfrog and 22 Cans reunion um, in Guildford. So, yeah, it was really awesome to catch up with so many um, people that I used to work with and sort of hear about what they're up to now. Some of them I've still seen, you know, you, you bump into at different events that develop or GDC or something. Uh, um, but then, yeah, other people who maybe don't go to loads of those things or just haven't happened to yeah. bump into them. Um, yeah, so it was a really nice evening and um, just, yeah, tricky to speak to everyone you wanted to speak to because there's so many, uh, so many people there. But um, yeah, I guess um, it feels like when, you, when you're independent, the, um, the highs are higher, but the lows are lower, I guess. And it feels like even more <laughs> of a roller coaster. Whereas when you're at a big company, um, yeah, you know, you still, still feel the ups and downs, but just not to the same extent. So yeah, it's definitely like a more extreme roller coaster when you're, you're doing your own thing really, because everything's just that much more personal. Yeah. I hear that. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess those highs are very high because you feel like you've personally done everything you can to get those wins. Yeah. Although, I mean, sometimes it's hard to like, to take the time to kind of take stock of that thing because there's always, you know, another problem or challenge or something up ahead. And, you know, even when like you secured some funding or something, it's like, that's only going to run for so far. And so, yeah, you've got to be, you know, always looking like six months to a year ahead at least. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, making sure you can like scale or grow or finish the game or do whatever is the, main priorities um so yeah it can definitely be uh, be tricky and um i think a question you asked uh, earlier that i didn't quite answer is the the biggest challenges um yeah i think that it, it ties into that of like funding i think probably one of the hardest things to to like to get the money to um to develop the game like firstly to the the stage when you can pitch it and get publisher funding and then um yeah getting that publisher funding or investment or whatever other funding model you choose definitely be tricky because there's so much competition now you know all these really awesome game engines make it easier than ever before to make games but means that there's more competition than there's ever been um on all the different platforms and for all the different publishers so um uh yeah it definitely can can be uh can be quite challenging and you know and when you get a talented team as well people with experience it's like they're expensive and you know with yeah. the um uh state of the economy at the moment and it's like everyone needs uh <laughs> good uh like good salaries or good day rates in order to um be able to kind of keep up with um inflation and um and everything so yeah that can be tricky because also you know games because of that competition it's like games aren't always as successful as they would have been like a few years ago and the market's always changing. So, um, yeah, it's like just getting a game out doesn't sort of guarantee that it's going to do well financially. And yeah, it always seems to be getting harder and harder and more importance on not just making an incredible game, but also doing an amazing job of marketing it and actually raising awareness and, um, kind of good knowledge of the different platforms and their algorithms and, what you need to do and not do to make sure your your game stands out. Hey there, I don't mean to take you away from the podcast I'm sure you're enjoying for too long, but I just wanted to take this brief moment to thank you. 
Whether you've tuned into our podcast, you've watched any of our live streams, or you've attended an event of ours, you've all contributed to the success of the Streamcast, and we are eternally grateful for your support. I'm here to let you know that there are more ways that you can support the Streamcast, namely our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash streamcast, there is all the information that you need to know about how you can support us. And I'd like to take this moment to thank Spilt Milk Studios for being our official Patreon. Make sure to follow them on all the platforms you can because they are a fantastic indie gaming studio full of amazing people. To find out how you can get a shout out just like Spilt Milk, or if you want to know about any of the other perks you can get, make sure to go to patreon.com forward slash streamcast. Yeah, that's more knowledge, <laughs> more great knowledge um, from you there, Mark. Um, yeah, I think funding, as someone who's never developed a game, I think funding is probably the first thing that I would say that is even an obstacle, maybe a hurdle that a lot of developers who try to go into you know business for themselves and make their own game really struggle with. And I mean, it seems like you were successful in getting quite a few uh, funding applications through and some grants. Um, do you have any tips or tricks that could help any aspiring developers who might be watching or listening to this pod wanting to make their own game? Um, yeah, do you have any advice for them when it comes to ap- applying for grants or stuff like that? Sure, yeah. So I guess I would say just like get started and, you know, bootstrap, make something, mm-hmm. experiment, test it out on people, see what works and what doesn't and just keep on iterating and making it better and better. And like the better the game you can make, the easier everything else is. Like if you have a really strong demo, then pitching to publishers is going to be easier. Um, and, uh, you know, getting grants and stuff if you've got, something that's getting some traction it makes that easier like if you can you know take it to a showcase or win an award or get some good press coverage or something then that stuff all sort of helps your your case so um but yeah you know you're not gonna you're not gonna make that progress without just getting stuff done on the game and 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 um giving it a go sometimes people you know they overthink things quite a lot and they're trying you know they want everything to be perfect just like it is in their head but that's always tricky to um and and so yeah you just need to get started and um yeah iterate lots and test lots i think those are the the main keys like i don't think i'm really the best designer or anything but with lost words what went right was um certainly with the beginning half of the game that like we tested it a lot we took it to a lot of shows we got a lot of feedback we saw lots of people play it and so that allowed us to kind of um improve things and um yeah just make all these changes that that made it better and better and um uh also it's quite you know inspiring sometimes watching people play can give you a new really good idea or sometimes people when playing the game they said oh it would be cool if this or you know Mm, like a friend of mine played it and said oh it would be cool if when you stood on one of these words everything turned upside down and i was like yeah that would be cool and then put it in the game and yeah it's a really awesome section of it now so um yeah you don't get that without just like making something and putting it in people's hands and um i think sometimes people can be kind of too secretive about stuff or or just yeah they 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 think about it so much and want it to be perfect but then don't actually get started doing stuff and unless you're you know in the trenches and giving it a try and um seeing what works and what doesn't then you're not gonna you're not gonna learn and you're not gonna make the best thing that you can yeah absolutely 
Uh, also, in terms of the funds, there's there's a whole bunch of new like prototyping funds springing up. Like, especially if you're not in the kind of um, uh, mainstream demographics of normal game developers, there, there's um, uh, like I think Robot Teddy might have a fund, and um, uh, Kowloon Knights are really good for funding cool projects and. Um, yeah, I guess it's worth looking for like local grants and things because depending on where you are, I'm in like Suffolk or uh, and the the companies in Essex and um, uh, yeah, some good regional grants. But yeah, getting the um, kind of initial funding is uh, often the the, the tricky um, tricky part. And, um, and then when you've got like one first lot of funding then sometimes other funds you can kind of match fund against that and stuff. UK Games Fund is really good. There's Transfuser for kind of student graduate teams and then the UK Games Fund itself, which we um, uh, received for Lost Words. And, um, and then when you do have some money and you're paying yourself and other people, you can claim video games tax relief. So you get like 20% of the project costs back. So that can be a big help. Right. And um Creative UK has some really good funds and game developer support programs as well. They've got an accelerator for um, uh, kind of new inexperienced teams. Well, they've got a couple of different levels. They've got the one for the new teams. They've got one for um, like their game scale up for sort of bigger teams that have been running like a couple of years and, and got a project or two out. And, um, and then they've got their um, kind of... Uh, one for for people looking for investment for for like bigger and kind of um sustainably profitable companies so uh yeah there's lots of good good options with with them and um tentacle zone um through payload studios has a really good accelerator as well um that's really worth um signing up to and they've got a focus on like um uh minority developers not represented in the industry and so yeah they've had some really amazing cohorts and really cool teams and, and great projects coming out of that so um yeah there's some definitely some good initiatives over here we're quite lucky in in the uk that there's um there's sort of more funding and more support and accelerators and things than um than in lots of other countries yeah no that that much is definitely true um I feel like the 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 government isn't doing its best to make sure that the creative industry is you know blooming the way it should be. So a lot of companies are actually making moves themselves to make sure that they're helping as many different developers as possible. Yeah, the the video games tax relief is one thing that the government is doing that does make a big difference. But I think people are lobbying to kind of improve that even more because I think it doesn't quite match the tax reliefs in like Canada and, and France and other places, oh, right. but definitely does does help. And then the BFI are doing um, uh, funding as well. So they have their global screen fund um, that we've received for our new project. And um, yeah, they're like a, a really great team and work with kind of an awesome variety of uh of different projects so that's another good one to to look into i think actually they might have just opened their um uh like the um applications for uh the the window for the global screen fund so um yeah people um have a project then it's definitely worth uh, worth looking at that 
Oh, very nice. Again, more nuggets from Mark. I will try my best to find links to all of these places and put them in the description or on the screen or something. I will make sure that you will be able to find those and apply for that funding, get your project made. You said that something very important, Mark, when you have previous success, it makes it easier to get more support. So when you get awards, when you have a banging demo, it's easier to get more support. And Lost Words is a game that has won awards. Do you know off the top of your head any awards that you've won? And do you have any favorites? Are you looking to get some more? Um, so we won a um, Develop MCV award. That was really cool because we actually got to um, be there in the, the UK at the Brighton for the, the um, ceremony. And um, uh, then we won a um, games uh, or two Games for Change awards. That was really cool. Unfortunately, that was during the pandemic, so we couldn't uh, fly mm. out to New York for, for that. But yeah, it was brilliant to, to be honored by uh, by that. And we were also nominated for the uh, in, Independent Games Festival. Um, so yeah, I guess that's something that when I've gone to GDC, I've gone and watched the IGF awards and you always think like one day could we be a, a part <laughs> of this? And um, so yeah, again, didn't get to, to be there in person, but yeah, to be nominated was, um, was really amazing. And um, yeah, maybe for the next game we can make it even better and, uh, and, and manage to, to win that. And, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, we've been, been very, uh, very lucky and had, um, yeah, had, a, had a whole range of, uh, different awards. So I guess that's, yeah, another, another tip for people of just like entering lots of these things, you know, like looking out for them and making a list as well. Um, even before you're ready, like you can write down the dates when, certain awards like open and close and um i kept like a spreadsheet of stuff to to track what ones to apply for and when and it does take a bunch of time but um yeah it can be good to um uh yeah to you know to go for those things because even sometimes when you know you don't think you'd have a shot uh you can you know sometimes you'd be surprised and it's kind of a jury of people and you never know what they're gonna pick so um yeah there's been some when you know we we've been up against really established like triple a titles and you don't think you stand a chance but then been been lucky enough to to win some of those so um yeah i would say you know like go go for it (laughs) and um yeah take take those chances and then uh yeah it can can help i guess probably one of the favorite awards was when like we went to um, Gamescom in Cologne with uh, the games industry trade body uh, for the UK, Yuki. And um, so we were on their business stand and then I didn't realize that they picked a game of, uh, like a UK game of the show. Um, and so we got picked as Yuki's uh, UK oh. game of the show. And so uh, that actually led to us getting our publishing deal because um, Seth Barton from MCV Develop interviewed me and I wasn't sure whether to be so brazen as to say we were looking for a publisher but I thought oh what the heck let's go for it and um, yeah mentioned that and then um, Maximum Games or Modus is their indie label and saw that article and got in touch and um, then yeah we met up at the next event and uh, yeah ended up signing Lost Words with them so 
yeah, that was a, a meaningful award that made quite a big difference for us. That's amazing. I feel like there's been a lot of skill and opportunity when it comes to a lot of the stuff that you've said there, a lot of your success. Uh, first of all, congrats on all of those awards. Amazing stuff. And hopefully many more are in the future. Did they mail over your award from the New York show? Yes. Yeah, we got oh, um, <laughs> two, uh, two awards, statuettes for that. And yeah, they're really nice, like crystal ones. So uh, yeah, they're on uh, on a prominent display. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. nice. In the to... office. <laughs> um well i we we we, we work remotely um so um, uh and and this is this is my office in here but they're actually downstairs in the spare room because it's kind of they're a bit more on show for the rest of the, okay. uh, the house there but <laughs> i'd like to get an office at some point and uh and yeah put them in there at the moment we've got some like public office space like lost words a lot of it was developed at the university of essex at their innovation hub and uh and games hub and now we've got some um, space at the um, Waterfront Innovation Center at the University of Suffolk. Um, so, but yeah, they're, they're public things, so I can't um, uh, listen yeah. them with uh, <laughs> awards. But uh, yeah, one day when uh, when we have our own office space, it'd definitely be uh, be nice to um, to be able to do that. Of course, I mean, and they're your awards. Let's be real, they shouldn't be going to any public space. <laughs> so, of course, that's all great. And, you know, the chance of being able to speak to a publisher and a lot of this stuff is going to sound obvious when we say it, but shoot your shot, ask the questions, close mouths, don't get fed. You never know. The worst that they can do is say no. It's always worth betting on yourself, believing yourself, believing your work. If you think it's good enough, other people are going to think it's good enough as well. So make sure you get the message out there. Mm -hmm, definitely, yeah. And something you said um, uh, also reminded me of uh, Alexander Bruce's talk about his game Antichamber that he gave at GDC. And um, I, the talk was titled Antichamber, an overnight success seven years in the making because it was like <laughs> often people, you know, see this success and they're like, oh, he got so lucky and it's like yeah luck is an element but it's the luck that you make you know he yes. he got like special unreal featuring because he was on twitter looking for stuff and he saw this he saw someone mention this thing and so he applied for it and he got it but it's like yeah if he didn't apply for that if he wasn't looking for those things then he would have missed that opportunity and he exactly. you know he took lots of shots he didn't he didn't hit with all of them but you only you know can see the the ones that that did hit so yeah absolutely exactly like you said of yeah taking those shots and and making your own luck like yeah acknowledging it does you know there is luck involved but it's like but luck that you can make by like researching and doing things <laughs> and looking for opportunities and speaking to people and yeah seizing all the chances that you can yeah i mean luck is of course an important factor in any success story you got to be at the right place at the right time, meet the right people, say the right things. But it's not dumb luck. You have to be skilled. You have to know what to say. You've had to put the work in, hours, money, into making the game Lost Worlds. Lost Words, sorry. Mm -hmm. You've had to put the hours in. You've had to talk, have those conversations. These things are very much intentional as much as luck. So you are right. A lot of people will just see the success story. They'll see your game plastered 
on buildings or on YouTube and all of this and think, oh, it must be nice. But they don't see the hours, the grind, the tears, the arguments, the sweat that goes into making this. So I think that's just something that people need to bear in mind. Overnight successes are very rare and it's unlikely you're going to be one. You're going to have to put the work in. Even your favorite YouTuber, your favorite content creators, they've had to put in years of work to get to where they are now. So it all is worth it. It's all organic and just, you know, feel part of the process. Definitely. Yeah. I saw a really good talk with a bunch of um, uh, well-established YouTubers and they were talking about some of their processes of, you know, that they, they experimented with different types of videos and when to post and all these, they, you know, they paid a lot of attention to their stats and, um, and like researching and sort of being smart about what they did. And like, sometimes there was a certain type of video they loved to make, but it took like way longer than the ones that were easier and had much better responses. And they noticed themes and trends and things that people were into. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to just hear like all the kind of depth and detail and nuance that they go into, you know, sometimes you think it's just about like, being on a stream and saying some funny stuff and having a zany <laughs> personality or something. But it's like, yeah, that was really interesting to see that these guys are super successful because they care about all the details and they put in a lot of work and yeah, they do all this stuff to, to make that luck. Absolutely. With YouTube, it's such a hard market and similar to your experience with games, it's become a harder market to crack over the years because more people have the knowledge, resources are cheaper, I mean, people can go on YouTube to figure out how to be successful on YouTube. So, you know, there's a whole metaverse there. And with more YouTubers, with more resources, with more competition, it becomes much harder to organically grow to the point that you'd like. Mm -hmm. So it's just another obstacle. And I think that's just the way the world is going. We are much more headed into a, an entertainment kind of world. And that's just one of the things that comes with it. Again, you've got to focus on your USPs. There is a lot of focus and stats that are involved, like the talk that you went to. You have to be very focused. You have to treat it like a business if you want this thing to be long-term and successful. It's not just saying wacky things because people have found out that that doesn't work. That gets mm -hmm. you canceled. So it, it's a targeted business plan. It's looking at your stats. It's looking at what times work best. Look at your favorite content creator. Look at your favorite developer and just study them, see how they do things, when they release, when they announce stuff, just everything, just study them, be a student of the game. And that is probably the best advice that I could give you without having any prior knowledge of anything. Definitely, yeah. And, and I guess those skills of like building a community and a following are kind of useful for more and more jobs and roles these days. And if you ever want to start, you know, any kind of your own business, then that sort of thing is gonna be useful with like, um, yeah, building that community, good social media presence and and for lots of jobs as well. It's like if you've got, you know, an established um, audience, then that's a, a big plus when you're applying for things. So, um, yeah, definitely really useful skills to have for lots of fields these days. 100%. And every successful business deals with people in some way, shape or form. So you have to be good at working with people, network be nice <laughs> all of these obvious little things i'm saying really go a long way because people talk the industry is smaller than you think it is and you know first impressions count 
be nice definitely yeah very uh sound advice and uh, <laughs> heard some people saying that even with like solo developers you know you don't get a game on a platform on your own it's like that takes working with different people and platform holders and other teams and um, all this stuff so it's like yeah and it's very rare that one person does everything on a game anyway so it's like yeah having good uh good team working skills and communication like will go go a long way i i would like to see someone who's actually made the game from themselves by scratch and see the game because that sounds very difficult <laughs> it definitely is yeah and um, i mean some people do it really well like lucas pope did an amazing job with papers please and like i mean the music for that is brilliant and often where people might be like a solo developer but get someone else to do the music but he did an amazing job on the music himself and um uh but yeah he's definitely like um you know the uh like in the minority there of um, yeah <laughs> uh being yeah being a solo developer and so so talented and um uh and managing to get the success that he deserves yes of course all the plaudits go to him and plaudits again go to you mark with the success of lost words and i know when it comes to like the game making business you you do maybe get like a day to be like oh we did that and then it's like okay next game is there a next game in line for sketchbook games how much can you tell us if there is going to be a future game sure yeah so um yeah we're working on a new project and like with Lost Words, we felt like we wanted it to be something that could have a positive difference on um, our players. And so we're looking at the topic of uh, mental health and anxiety. Uh, it's going to be a first-person uh, narrative game, kind of walking sim, but with um, with puzzles built in and, um, uh, yeah, a few different elements as well. So... Uh, yeah, sort of uh, a good stage of uh, prototyping that and uh, figuring out what what works and uh, and doesn't, and uh, learning Unreal at the same time as well, uh, which is tricky because yeah, I'm, I'm wearing lots of different hats, so you're sort of trying to juggle the business things and still do some of the like um, supporting lost words, but then also yeah like making progress with this new game so it's tricky to like find time to to do a bunch of tutorials and learn some new skills but definitely does make things easier if you can kind of jump in engine and make stuff happen and try things out yourself rather than um you know having to say to other people like try this thing oh no that doesn't work how about this how about that and um so yeah that's sort of my aim at the moment to um uh to make a bit of progress with my uh unreal skills because with unity that worked well for lost words of like i knew the engine and so i could kind of prototype and um and yeah got the base mechanics through trying lots of things and and seeing what did and didn't work so um yeah kind of need to get back to that that place with uh, unreal and it is always enjoyable as well when you're actually in it and um just sort of having a play around and uh trying cool things and seeing what works and what doesn't. And, th and that's when you get those happy accidents as well, like that led to Lost Words of like I was trying something else, but something interesting happened instead. And um, then you think, yeah, actually, that's cool. Let's uh, let's use that. I think it's just one of the, the skills that makes game developing 
such a really cool art form for me. Um, on outside looking in, I think that adaptability and all the transferable skills from other businesses and you know other developing languages, I think that really blends and you just become a like a super problem solver. <laughs> like something happens in your game and you're like, that's not <laughs> supposed to happen. What am I doing here? Do you scrap everything? Do you try to make it work? Do you just go with it and hope you know that works out? There are a lot of problems and a lot of decision trees that go into this kind of thing that I'm sure you're going to be very familiar with already. And I'm hoping that you get every bit of success with this new game that you that you have with Lost Words and even more so. Thanks very much. Do you have any titles? Do you have like a release window? Is there anything you can tell us about any final projected plans with this new game? Um, so we're hoping for a development schedule of about two years, um, but it kind of depends on when we get funding for it. So um, yeah, we're, we're working on a demo at the moment and then we'll be pitching publishers, which can take kind of up to six months or um, even more sometimes. Um, so uh, yeah, it'll be, be a little while, but um, nothing else official to announce just yet. But um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be in a point to, to start speaking more about it soon. That's fair enough. Yeah. All right. I know that you are a busy guy, Mark, so I'm going to let you get on with things. Hopefully we can have you on again once, you know, the game is close to finalization, maybe close to release. It'd be lovely to have you on again. Sounds if brilliant. anyone would like to follow you, how can they find you? What are your socials? Sure. Um, so I'm at Mark Backler on Twitter and, um, most other social media, I think. And uh, Lost Words is at Lost Words Game on Twitter. And we also have um, a Facebook, which is the same address, and uh, Instagram, which I think is the same address, but we don't tend to use loads. <laughs> um, we've also got a sketchbook Twitter, which is Games Sketchbook. Um, and yeah, Lost Words is available on um, Steam, Stadia, Switch, uh, Xbox. PlayStation um, and it's currently on Xbox Game Pass and um, PlayStation Plus uh, Extra at the moment. So um, yeah, people can uh, check it out on uh, on those. Oh, excellent. You hear that? There is no excuse. Get on your console and get Lost Words, especially if you have Game Pass. It's a banging game. Thank you very much, Mark, for jumping on the pod. Thanks for having me. Of course. And you can keep up to date with the streamcast by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, streamcast underscore. If you are watching this podcast on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the streamcast and tap the bell so you get every video as soon as they go live. And our podcasts are available on all major platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So just search streamcast on your favorite platform and subscribe. We also have a Twitch, Streamcast TV, where we stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in the evening. And we have a website, thestreamcast.co.uk, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you get updated as soon as we put out a blog post or an event is announced. Until next time, please take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Stay safe, and we'll see you on the next Streamcast. <laughs>